Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, February 23rd. Coming up, why small communities in Missouri and Kansas collectively turned down $5 million in federal COVID relief funding. I contacted my clerk and she said, I didn't get that paperwork in and we lost our shot at it. And I'm like, oh, really? Plus, another college football player has died in Kansas, the second in three years. But first, some headlines. New COVID cases are quickly dropping in both Kansas and Missouri, nearly back to where they were before the Omicron surge. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. Average new cases in Missouri dropped below 2,000 at the end of last week, and Kansas cases dipped under 1,000. Rates in both states are now similar to trends in the fall, before the more contagious Omicron variant caused a flood of cases and hospitalizations. Case rates in Kansas and Missouri are also below the national average, but community transmission is still rated as high by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That means people should continue to take steps to prevent the spread of COVID, such as wearing a mask in public public, especially if they're unvaccinated. Kansas City hospitals are starting to see some relief from staffing shortages. KCUR's Jacob Martin has more. At its peak, the University of Kansas Health System had more than 900 employees forced to isolate at home due to COVID-19 infection or exposure. Now that number is below 50. Children's Mercy currently has 34 staff members absent, compared to more than 400 last month. Both hospitals credit vaccine requirements for employees and helping to keep staffing shortages below crisis levels. The judge who convicted former Kansas City Police Detective Eric DeValconeer in the killing of Cameron Lamb has taken the unusual step of agreeing to let him stay out of prison on bond after his appeal, even though he hasn't yet appealed. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. Jackson County Circuit Judge Dale Youngs on Tuesday ruled that DeValconeer can remain free after his scheduled sentencing on March 4th when DeValconeer plans to appeal. After a bench trial in November, Youngs found DeValconeer guilty of involuntary manslaughter and armed criminal action in the December 2019 death of Lamb. DeValconeer has been free on bond since then. DeValconeer, who was white, shot Lamb, a 26-year-old black man, as Lamb was backing his red pickup truck into his basement garage. DeValconeer claimed he saw Lamb reaching for a gun. The number of officers leaving the Kansas City Police Department has decreased. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. Twelve law enforcement employees have retired or resigned since the start of the year. The department says that's an improvement over previous years. KCPD employees received pay increases in December, which Deputy Chief Michael Hicks says led some officers to pull back their retirements. So our monthly retirement average is way below uh, right now what it was in 2021, 2020, 2019, and 2018. We're doing a much better job of retaining our employees. Raises in hazard pay are included in Kansas City's proposed budget for the upcoming fiscal year. Personnel costs are the largest KCPD expense. 
For the second time in three years, a Kansas Community College football player has died following a grueling summer workout. The latest death happened at Fort Scott Community College, about 80 miles south of Kansas City. KCUR's Sam Zeff reported on the player's death. He spoke to KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez about what he uncovered. Here's their conversation. Sam, what did you discover about the death of 19-year-old Terrell Williams from suburban New Orleans? So it was a particularly disturbing heat death. The team was being punished by Coach Carson Hunter because a candy wrapper was found on the field. According to multiple players, uh, they were forced to do 300 up-downs. That's where players hit the ground and then hit their chest on the ground and pop Mm -hmm. right back up. Then they were made to run what coaches called gassers. These are sprints that go back and forth across the football field. On gasser number eight or nine, Tyrell Williams went down. When the trainer arrived, there was no trainer on site. There was also no water on site. But when the trainer arrived, he described Tyrell as going into seizures. He was in a coma for two weeks before he eventually died at KU Hospital. According to his mother, the school was reluctant to tell her too much about how serious the condition was. She was finally told how serious his condition was by a nurse at KU Hospital who then ultimately paid for her plane ticket to come up and be at her son's bedside. Players allege they were denied water. The school denies that that the players were denied water. It's a fine line. So what the school said was we didn't provide water to them, despite the fact they were practicing in an August summer. But if players wanted to bring their own water, that would be acceptable. Trainers would suggest that that is unacceptable, uh, that water should be provided whenever a player feels that they have to drink. Right. And you write in your story on KCUR.org that Williams' death was uncannily similar to one in 2018 at Garden City Community College. How so? This is Braden Bradforth. We reported extensively on his death. Both were 19 years old, both African-American, both offensive linemen who came in at over 300 pounds. This is significant because trainers and doctors who study this suggest that larger players, linemen, should be worked out differently than players who are running backs or defensive backs. Yeah. And tell me about former head football coach at Fort Scott, Carson Hunter, who was running these practices. Yep. Carson Hunter is a lawyer turned coach. Players described him as, uh, at best, mercurial, very apt to punish them for uh, small infractions. Some players said that uh, they would be forced to get up early, 5 or 5.30, to do uh, running, to do up-downs, to do what they called bear crawls, that the workout would go so late in the morning that they would have to sprint from the football offices to their classes so they could be there on time. Carson Hunter right now, along with uh, all of the other coaching staff, are out of a job after they discontinued the program back in November. Uh, They were on the payroll till the end of January. What he's doing now, I don't know. He did not return phone calls, emails, or he was not home when I knocked on his door in Fort Scott. Finally, Sam, put this into context. This isn't just a Kansas problem, is it? Not at all. Last summer, according to one scholarly paper, 
nine football players died in the United States of exertional heat stroke. What was common among them, they were all teenagers and all linemen. There was an emergency meeting of a trainer's organization to address this problem. Data that goes back to 1955 that show between two and three players a year dying of exertional heat stroke. That's bad enough, but we've seen an uptick in that in the last couple of years. Trainers and doctors are trying to address that now. That was KCUR's Sam Zeff and Lisa Rodriguez. The federal government offered almost $20 billion to small towns across the country for pandemic recovery. But communities in Missouri and Kansas collectively turned down more than $5 million. Harvest Public Media's Elizabeth Rembert reports on why some found the money to be more of a headache than a lifeline. The communities could use the money in many ways. Improve water systems, write checks to local businesses that lost income, help struggling households. It was supposed to go to some very small towns. I always give the instance of the population of one village that was eligible for $77. That's Lee Will. He calls himself the money guy as Nebraska's budget administrator. The village he's talking about decided not to pursue the funds. Too much red tape. These small awards, some of them just said, hey, we don't want to mess with the bureaucratic federal reporting. And that happened for communities bigger than that village of one, and for checks bigger than $77. Records from Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Illinois, and Iowa show that more than 300 small towns, nearly 10% of these communities, across the region collectively turned down nearly $8 million. Holstein, Nebraska, is one of the towns that didn't chase the money. With a population of about 200, it was eligible for a little over $42,000. Mark Gennert was Holstein's chairman when the paperwork was due. He heard about it from the village's accountant, but when he talked to his clerk... I contacted my clerk and she said, I didn't get that paperwork in and we lost our shot at it. And I'm like, oh, really? Gennert runs a meat processing company with his wife, Belinda, in Holstein. It smells like bacon outside Gennert Packing Company, where it sits on Main Street across from Cowtown Saloon. Large cities have hired accounting firms to process money from the American Rescue Plan Act. Bigger towns have full-time clerks that have more time to stay on top of such programs. These small towns don't have that. Holstein's clerk had been working for the town on top of another full-time job. Gennert says he doesn't blame her for missing the details. It was just like a letter in the mail, and, and if you missed it, or and I don't know, you know, and she's, she's got a lot on her plate, too. Will, Nebraska's money guy, says the state worked hard to communicate with small towns. A lot of looking up mailing addresses, going up Facebook pages. I talked to folks who were on the tractors. I heard the fax machine in my office for the first time in years. But those faxes and Facebook messages didn't seem to reach Holstein. It's a missed opportunity, Gennert says. The village could use some park improvements and upgraded water systems. If they were giving it out like that, why don't you just send a check? I'll guarantee there wouldn't be a town in this state that wouldn't have taken it. Just five miles away from Holstein, the town of Roseland is getting ready to spend its money, not thinking about what could have been different. The town will get just over $47,000. Chairman Danny Troush says getting the money was fairly simple for Roseland, thanks to the village's accountant. I didn't know what we was even getting into, to be honest. We went and talked to the accountant. He kind of told us, you need to apply, and the worst they can tell you is no. A week later, the village had the first of its two payments. The money might upgrade water infrastructure or outfit Roseland's new community center. 
for Beaconsfield, Iowa, the money was worth the hassle. It's the smallest town in the state to get the federal help, all $2,000 of it. Not a lot, but as Councilmember Bob McLeod says, Our annual budget is like 7500 bucks. <laughs> there are only 17 of us in town, and you got to bear in mind, three of the 17 are council members. We have a mayor, and Ryan's our clerk, so a third of the town is the, the city government. So the money made it to some very small towns, if an accountant or clerk was looking out and wanted it badly enough. Others fell through the cracks. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembert. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Sam's story about the Fort Scott Community College football team and Elizabeth's story about federal COVID-19 aid, visit kcur.org. As always, you can hear Kansas City's NPR station live on the radio at 89.3 FM. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.